tackle a project with more than just one mind and one person trying to to get something off the ground. I think, you know, two, yeah, four or more hands are better than two. It's my purpose. I suppose for 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 the early the early point in me choosing to do dance as a career it was very much oh I can do it I should that's what I should do I got all D's on my year eleven report cards I was like fuck it I'm going to Whopper I'll be a dancer I don't even have to try at that only to get into that environment and go shit there's so much more to it than this and to now have those moments in the studio and going fuck this is my job this is fucking incredible to be in a room with people that i love doing really fucking interesting shit and i i often look at people and i go how do you do a job that you're not interested in how do you not do a job that you're inspired by sure i have plenty of moments where i'm like thank god i'm getting paid for this because you're really getting out of bed but at least it's not every day. Yeah, it's sporadic. And usually it's just due to exhaustion. Yeah. Um, mm. And so I find now being, allowing myself to see that world and going, actually I have this idea and I like this idea. Suddenly it just becomes a platform for me to share interest. And I, I like I've had this conversation with people before about why they make work and I make work for myself. I make work because I'm interested in the idea. And I hope that by putting it out there to the public, mm. other people share that common interest. I mean, because if, if I was only making it to comment on an interest, then I could make work and just never share it. Yeah. I suppose I'm interested in finding people who think like me. So by making work for myself and putting it out there, I hope to find those kindred spirits, those people who um, who agree with my interests or who agree with my opinions, and for those who don't, for them to just be aware that those interests and opinions exist. Mm. And I imagine there's a lot of people who exist in a place where they're not even aware of your interests or opinions and don't know how they feel about them. So it's nice that you, that whatever it is that you are making or working towards or standing for becomes another option of yeah. a way to be in the world or a way to be interested in the world. Mm. It was like, it was a big question that came up in the proximity lab. Um, and because it's very much structured about, you know, behind the one-on-one -on -one performance, it suddenly became very crucial to know what you want your audience to come away with. And so there was a lot of questions about what do you want your audience to think or what do you want your audience to get from this work? Hi boys. Hey mate. Hey. I just come to collect my rent. Oh yeah? <laughs> yeah, it's uh, 100 bucks a week. <laughs> In arrears? Yeah, plus, uh, plus power and electricity. And is there a little bit of a premium for seeing your pretty face? Fuck, mate. Uh, not really, no, mate. <laughs> Just hand over the money. Weird people. Hey? <laughs> I just realised that we're like two young men sitting in our underwear. <laughs> As dudes battle fast. G'day. Uh, on a raft in a ute. What's the difference? Mm. Yeah, uh, actually, there's no, there's no way that I would be sitting on this raft with you in my underwear if I hadn't seen some boys who taught themselves breakdancing off YouTube. No, before YouTube, they taught themselves breakdancing somehow off a of VHS, mm. and then got together and did it in the the only shopping centre in Darwin. <laughs> yeah, and happened to be doing it when I was, you know, finishing high school. I was like, oh, yeah, that'd be cool. I should. 
see if I can get away with doing that for a little while. <laughs> but you're right, like, there's a power in people putting time and life force into the thing that they care about. Because they're putting that life force into something. Yeah. And if it's not what you care about, then it, ooh. Yeah, I just... It, it fascinates me. Like, going on a date with somebody, <laughs> yeah. and you're like, what do you do? And they're like, I do this. And I'm like, my first question is, do you enjoy it? And if they're like, meh, like, I find it so hard to connect with. And a lot of times, I've, I've met people who are who work to earn money so that they can enjoy themselves outside of work. Uh-huh. Ah, uh, okay, that's fair. That's totally fair, because not everyone, I guess, has the option. But I guess there should always be at least one little... If you're lucky enough to have choice, which I feel like most people in Australia are, yep. then the choice should kind of be like, at least find one aspect of it. Like even if my mum runs a garden centre, and she's not really because she's passionate about plants or about nature, but she does love interacting with people and finding out what it is that they're trying to achieve and facilitating that. Yep. And so you can do that in shitloads of jobs. Yeah. <laughs> and this just happens to be one of those. Like, yeah. my mum worked in... My mum worked in um, the soft furnishing industry. Soft furnishing? So it's like making curtains and oh, like cushions cool. and yeah, stuff right. like that. Like soft sculpture. Mm. <laughs> yeah. And so she, like, she'd been doing that for longer than I'd been live. So... Yeah. She'd only just recently stopped, but I think it was like, you know, close to 25 years making curtains. And no interest in making curtains other than the fact that my nana made curtains. And so she got a job through my nana. And then she was doing it for 25 years. And I look at her and she's she's not, she wasn't unhappy other than the fact that her, the environment that she was working in was not particularly the best. But she, she found something that she could do, and she could do it well. So she was content, but I have no interest in being content. <laughs> and I, I feel like she's coming to that point, even this late in her life, where she had to think about a new job, mm. that she, she still just went to something that was available. And I suppose when you've got a mortgage and you've got bills to pay, you don't necessarily have yeah, the option choice. to go, mm, I'm just going to, this late in life, go into something that I've always wanted to be. Um, it's hard to know what the options are as well hmm. for what you want to be. Like, I discovered that there was the option to be a dancer. Okay, that's cool. But then through being a dancer, discovered that there, there are people called dramaturgs or there are people like stage managers who really just like make shit happen, but you never see them. Yeah. That was like, I remember in our, in our art class at high school, there was these two A4 pieces of paper set, stuck on the wall. And there were a list of all these different jobs that you could do if you worked in visual arts. Mm-hmm. But it was like going into all different types of mm-hmm. um, the industry, from the the business side of it all to the the um, the practical art side of it all, and all these different avenues that you could go into. And it was always surprising to look at the you know look at those pieces of paper and going, that's all from just studying mm-hmm. visual arts. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like there's not enough of that in all types of industries. Mm. Because I like I meet people who work in very obscure aspects of any sort of industry, like meeting people who work in a very specific type of accounting mm. that you, you would never know existed yeah. because it's nowhere near part of your life. No. Um, yeah. All right, also, because um, I grew up in a small city, no one ever is a specialist. And so if you're, say, if you're driving a truck like my brother is currently, you're also operating a crane, you're also fixing the engine. Like you have to be super skilled so that your one role as a truck driver, <laughs> um, that you can keep it up. And I feel a bit that way as well. 
one, one role as a choreographer is being able to program QLab so that the show can be what I need it to be. Yeah. Hmm. And like I'm, those, those sorts of skills I find are coming up more and more in younger artists. Mm. Like uh, there was a boy in, so Jack from mm. Steps mm -hmm. sent me some of the music he was composing and it's fucking brilliant. It's so cool. So, and it's and this young, dance. it's this young artist who's studying dance, yeah. who has a real interest in composing music as well. Mm. And that, instead. Yeah, as yeah. well. Yeah. Um, and that's going to um, benefit him greatly. Mm. Like I have a, uh, like after mastering Japanese or whilst mastering <laughs> Japanese, <laughs> I would like to learn how to pattern, how to um, pattern make, so that I could learn how to sew and make my own clothes and uh, yeah. you know work in that sort of um, aesthetic portion of it and create. Mm. Clothes that not only that I would wear just in general life, but to also make costumes and mm. have that skill at my hands. Yeah, it's tricky, isn't it? That there's like the fun part of any job is the part where you get to reconsider and challenge and evolve and question. But the job job of any job, especially a stable one, is the constant repetition of producing the thing that people are willing to buy mm. so I imagine that like the pattern making and stuff is totally it would sound the same but it's actually totally different to what your mom was doing for 25 years oh yeah oh there's been many a times I'm like mom make me this she's like I don't make clothes yeah can you do you have any can you see the future do you have any like um What's the like what? time capsule prophecies that we should record now and then in five years listen to and oh yeah that happened or no that didn't happen or about what you're interested in or what you think you'll follow or well I I've, <laughs> I've kind of made it a thing that by the age of 27 28 I'll be living in Japan oh wow that was 26, 27 at one point, now it's 27, 28. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, like I'm learning the language, so if I feel like I'll ever be fluent in the language, I have to live there. Um, and that's kind of left me not necessarily knowing where my future in my industry will lie, mm. considering that I don't necessarily know the industry there, and what I do know of the industry there is very small. So I don't know what my future in contemporary dance is like if I give way to this passion over it. It's, it's a bit crazy, isn't it, to like care about something and invest in something and then once a certain amount of time has passed to be battling this sunk cost fallacy where you feel like actually you're going to go against yourself by continuing to learn and expand and experience. Absolutely. Because artistically and uh, like soul nourishingly, there's no way that you can go against yourself by doing that. But uh, career-wise, it could totally be death. Yeah. <laughs> and it's really unfortunate that those things are opposing forces. Yeah. Well, like Performing Lines just released a... Um at the end of last year, they released a, an article where they talked to a whole bunch of people who work in the arts about their favourite mm -hmm. shows in 2016 and favourite choreographers and directors and stuff like that. And then at the bottom of it is the opportunity to say for people to who to look out for in 2017. And I got mentioned about four times in this article. <laughs> I'm like, fuck yes, I'm making it as a choreographer. I'm coming into the scene and then an overwhelming like rush of doubt going, fuck, I actually have to prove to live myself up. now. I have to live up to these um, potential potential, <laughs> um, and going, well, great, I'm starting to be recognised now and fuck, it's right as I'm preparing to leave. So I'm like, I have a lot to get done in a small amount of time if I still mm. want to be able to do this mm. other thing while I'm young. Because, mm. I mean, I still want to family I want to be able to settle down somewhere because I'm very much a homebody and I like my 
I like my having my space somewhere and having a somewhere to come back to. And I'm like, well, if I want to settle down eventually, I'd like it to be before now. I was 50. <laughs> uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. So there's no real knowledge of where I will be five years from now. But I will have hopefully made at least one full-length work that gets mm. performed. Mm. That is the goal for the next five years. At least one. <laughs> and possibly with CO3, given that the WA called yeah. out, I got that. Yeah. So I'll yeah. be working with the company for a week and hopefully that'll um, lead on. Yeah, develop into something. Assuming that they like my concert. <laughs> Maybe What's they just it? need to like the, sh the dancing. What music are you going to take in? Or how do you find your music? Because it's a big part of what you make. Mm. Um, I like the idea of working with composers and working with people who create their own music. It's not always readily available though. Mm. Um, um, I found Spotify to be a great tool of finding <laughs> new music based on your your, your uh -huh. existing interests and same with YouTube um, and then also to so the, the few composers that I do know mm. it's always great even if you can't employ them to make music mm. um, themselves of going hey I'm really into this sound can you recommend somebody uh, an existing artist who has released music that sounds like this and explaining your Expanding my knowledge as far as movement goes based on other people's interests. Um, and then it also, you know, leads to conversations I found with composers going, I'm really into this track. They suggest stuff, but they also suggest local artists. They suggest other composers who are working for a future reference of going, if this is a sound you're really interested in. Yeah. I, or my friend, makes sound like this so given the opportunity that I actually have a budget to work with and I have money to pay a composer to make art for me mm. that I already you know based on having shared interests in music that we can explore a collaborative relationship together later on based on the fact that they know what I'm into how do you um, make peace with not being a social creature, but working in this, what you were talking about before, that of like making things and being seen and seeing other things that people make and being connected and that you're performing and having con conversations with people constantly, but also you just want to have your own space. <laughs> Oh, a lot can be done by a Facebook Messenger. Um, so that's still like, that's still you time, really. Yeah, I suppose it's... Uh, like, I can be social in a work environment. Mm. I think when I'm in the studio, yeah, I, I like hanging out with people. I like being surrounded by people. It's the Leo side of me. You know, Leo rules my second house of communication in a uh -huh. social setting. And then cancer rules my first house, which is how I deal with myself by myself, okay. which is very withdrawn. And so I think in my personal time, I like to be by myself, and I'm very happy to be by myself. But at the same time, I can take a selfie of me and put it on Instagram and socialize with people without actually having uh -huh. to socialize. Uh -huh. I think there's a way that I can record. Uh, my dancing and putting it online and going this is what I make as a way of connecting with people but not necessarily having to talk to them and maybe later a conversation will come from that but it's almost like I'm constantly having conversations with people who are who are whoever's watching my feed my Facebook feed this is what I'm interested in I thought this meme was ridiculously funny I don't have to sit with them and go this meme was ridiculously mm. funny but I'm communicating with them by posting my opinion so I feel like I'm constantly in conversation with people mm. 
as soon as my phone goes off and I've got another <laughs> like on Instagram, I'm communicating with people, but I'm not having to socialize with them. Um, I feel like I'm the best of both worlds. I feel like I am I can the be best a, I of can, both worlds. I can be a social butterfly when I need to. Mm. Um, is there anything that I haven't asked you that you want to talk about? Um, like I've mainly just been asking the shit that sounds interesting, that I'm interested in, that I don't quite understand fully. <laughs> and you're like, yeah, I make this thing, and I'm like, yeah, cool, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I suppose that's a, a another skill I'm trying to work on, is how to share my ideas um, in a very concise way whilst verbalising them and not having to write them. Because mm. I find it's always the problem that I have with writing an application is I just spew all this information out and send it to somebody and somebody's like, that's a shitload of, I don't know, <laughs> what I'm reading. Yeah. Um, but then I guess it's interesting to think that you'll go from this idea that's spoken or written and then you'll come out with a, a dance show or a performance show where you've considered the costume and the sound and the lighting and the choreography and the cast and... Mm -hmm. I sometimes think it would be easier to just converse, like, converse with sign language. Yeah. Or just make the show and then... Um, be able to be funded afterwards. <laughs> Well, it kind of happened from the KS project in King Square. It was like, we need a synopsis for a media release about the work. It's like, yeah. you, know, you just gave me some money and I picked a song and made a dance. <laughs> like, and you want some intellectual yeah, right. meaning behind this work. It's like, okay, let's look at the work and let's bullshit some idea. <laughs> this is what the, this this is what this work is about. Mm. Um, so it was interesting to talk about a work that I've already made already made and then put it into some kind of context which is which is interesting because it is it does give me the opportunity to explore it physically in yeah. a way in a, in a vocabulary that I know mm. that I'm very uh, uh, fluent in mm. to then be able to go okay this is the idea that we're exploring in this movement this is what kind of came from that and this is what I was interested in there and then I find it maybe slightly easier to verbalize or have a conversation or describe it once it's already made. Mm. Yeah, I often wonder about that. One of my collaborators, Miranda Ween, she is like forever passionate about the ridiculous nature of having to have a, uh, a justification before the work has been done. In her mind, the work is done in the development of the physical language and form um, but you often have to have a, a media release ready before you've even gone into the studio absolutely uh, and it 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 like you can just have them as separate things but it inevitably colors what it is that you do or what it is that you've now promised to deliver And I have been I have I've been mentored by a few artists who have created works, and they go, "Don't worry about it. Say whatever you need to say, and then make whatever you want to make, mm -hmm. because it's not necessarily important that what you said is what's made, mm. especially if it's in the context that you've said it way before you've made the work. You can't let that suddenly go. Okay, I've said I'm going to make this. I'm going to make this." Yeah. If that's not what the work is, you can't be confined by those constraints that maybe you said it was this and it's no longer that. Yeah, because then that holds it back. Yeah. Are there issues that you're that you would deal with in your work that would just not be issues from like that I would not have in my life? I, I haven't considered carrying a child because I have a female partner who I hope mm. will one day do that for me. But maybe there's some other... Um, so one of the biggest things that I kind of struggled with in the proximity lab is making a work about animal cruelty and kind of having in, 
having to think about performing it to an audience you don't give a fuck about abnormal cruelty mm-hmm. and I suppose letting my vegan bias opinion mm-hmm. sit sit in the work um, as it exists now but then also be aware that people don't necessarily share that context like I live with Manny so the meat eater from Darwin like yeah, the Filipino it's like meat show eater him, show him the videos that turned me vegan and go his reaction is like yeah but I like bacon <laughs> and so yeah. I suppose I, I suppose I I often think about maybe people out there you know will not will see my work and not share my opinion mm-hmm. but it's my opinion it's my work and I'm going to put it out there um, so I don't expect people to watch my work and suddenly everybody's vegan. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's realistic to think that any any opinion of mine is any valid, more valid than somebody else's opinion. I hope that, so I suppose I, I create work and I hope that it inspires thought mm. about a different opinion. Yeah, or just, ref- yeah, reflection. Yeah. Some, th- yeah, because so many things are come to by default, actually. Like you accidentally are a meat eater, for example. Or you just hit your wife because that's what people do. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, It'd be better if that was not the Subject of context. Yeah. But yeah, no, so I suppose in that work I... It was questioned a lot about... Because I suppose the, the, the concept of the work came um, specifically from... Um, a feeling of injustice of the use of animals in religious sacrifice and how it's still being utilised in a lot mm-hmm. of religions t- mm-hmm. still today. I remember, get, yeah, getting taught about that dude that takes his son up on the hill to Isaiah or something, I don't know, mm-hmm. in the Finn Bible, and then they took a lamb instead, and I was like, is that any better? Yeah. <laughs> and it's just this idea that these creatures create carry so much symbolism that's put on them by a human um, belief system whereas they're essentially a farm animal that doesn't barely knows its own existence in our world um, so I find it very um, I find it very uh, disturbing this concept of sacrificing an animal life for your own spiritual personal gain um, and so a lot of questions came up about that during the development and the provocateurs within the the lab were like but what about this and what about this and what about this and so we had this session called um the round table where you essentially write your idea you get five minutes to write your entire five or ten minutes to write your entire idea down on a piece of paper and then you go around and you look at other people's ideas and you write questions that you have about their work based on what's written on the piece of paper and so after that, I was like, well, fuck, nobody, nobody fucking cares about my, the animals, nobody. <laughs> like, and so I kind of pulled apart my idea and I was like, fuck, what am I doing? Mm-hmm. Um, but it was good because I kind of came to the inclu- conclusion that it's not so much just about an animal life in a religious context. It's more so the concept of what it is to kill something that doesn't want to be killed. Yeah. And it, you know, it's as broad as that. So it, you know, and it kind of um, fed into then how I physicalize this creature, that I'm not necessarily an animal, that I'm not necessarily a human either, that I'm kind of this, I'm a life essentially. Yeah. So that's a lot of how I try to um, create this image of um, trying to get rid of humanized like human characteristics and color, like painting myself all one color and trying to make myself as monochrome as possible. Mm. Um, yeah, I remember listening to a dude talk about uh, jumping off of the Golden Gate Bridge to commit suicide and halfway down realizing that he didn't want to die, like being wanting to die for months in the lead up to it and finally doing it and then at, then yeah the life whatever the life was in within him even at his own hands who 
wanted to die, suddenly did not want to die. Mm. So there's something about even whether we are, yeah, the agency that we give ourselves over other lives and then the agency that we give ourselves over our own life. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, so I, I suppose I just kind of came about it in sparking interest in other, uh, or sparking thought in other people um, in a more broad sense and less less about what I'm specifically interested in and just going what is the injustice, like what are, what am I what, am, what injustice am I disturbed about and it's that, it's in a broad sense it's that concept of taking a life in which you have no ownership over or taking a life of which you have ownership over and how fucked up that is yeah that you have ownership, ownership over, over life, life. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which is interesting coming back to what you're talking about about pregnancy and about carrying a life and like how this life only comes about because of you but that still doesn't give you ownership over it or something mm. it gives you a responsibility to it but not a yeah yeah, and then that's a, you know another fucked up thing about human existence. And then you look at you look at um, very traditional cultures who are still doing these barbaric barbaric acts. Mm. Are probably still the sorts of people who are selling their children off for dowry and stuff like that. The idea that your daughter is married to somebody who has lots of cattle or lots of money or has something to pay you for your daughter yeah I think it happens even in the developed world um, but it's more hidden but it's, it's just these yeah in any in any society it's still traditional values that mm. are where I think we're becoming more and more aware of how um, of how wrong they are or how they don't fit in mm. to society in a modern context. Um, what I'm, I started to make a work about um, the, um, the Japanese, the declining birth rate in Japan mm. and how it comes from, an, uh, how it comes from a, a lack of sexual drive from... From um, overwork? from many different things there's overwork there's there's the Social. traditional um, sexist values that once a woman is married she gets pregnant as soon as possible and she becomes a housewife yeah and it's like they don't really have any childcare systems over there because it's not a concept that somebody else raises your child mm. that it is always the wife um, so there's this wave of new independent women who are trying to, you know, mm. who wake up in the morning and go, actually, I want to be the CEO of a company, but then have no context, like, have no environment Avenues. where they can be a mother yeah. as well as a CEO. Yeah. And so there's, um, it's like the, it's like a wave of new independent women and then also the term herbivoric men, who are these men who are who are less interested in being with women because they because of these traditional I ideals of what a woman should be just don't necessarily are like are starting to deteriorate mm -hmm. and so with technology and you can turn on your Game Boy and there's your perfect wife mm. suddenly there's more of an interest in having these artificial relationships mm. with either dolls or animated beings who are exactly what you want them to look like yeah. who act exactly how you want them to act and there's no there's no commitment until you interact with them mm. like they they don't exist outside your imagination mm. but that's enough yeah yeah and so with this it's like it's happening all over the world but Japan just happens to be a very concentrated um, source of it all mm. and so Japan is witnessing a constant decline in birth because people just don't want to give time to a relationship because it takes time <laughs> away from a culture time. that is constantly overworking people mm. when somebody works from 
9 till 11 at night mm. when they get home most of the time they have dinner they have a shower and they go to bed and they get up and they do it all over again and so when people have the opportunity to just buy relationships and then put it on hold when they're yeah. busy like there's a there's the host clubs in Japan where women go and pay beautiful men to sit with them and pour them drinks and ask them how their day was and oh. compliment them and wow. essentially an escort who has nothing sexual but is yeah, just yeah. conversation is huge over there wow. and it's this thing that, that you know people are getting <laughs> you move to Japan maybe <laughs> become a prostitute <laughs> but an emotional one an emotional one <laughs> um, it's pretty interesting across how many cultures you invest and when you're talking about all these things that I don't know about Japanese culture and where it's coming from and where it's going to and and then there's um, Euro-centered Perth culture that you're living within, and then this uh, USA culture that you're talking about from a family. Mm-hmm. It's like, how do you how do you find where you are within all of those different cultural options and alternatives? And then there's like subcultures within there, like dance subculture and then a subculture within that of contemporary or commercial and then and there's like homo subculture and hetero subcultures and you're across a lot of cultures mate. Yeah. <laughs> I suppose it's, it's also I find what tends to be an Australian, a young Australian mentality. It's like often when you go traveling you meet a lot of people from Australia mm. because a lot of like Australia doesn't necessarily have much of a history to learn about it doesn't have a culture there is no Australian culture it's an amalgamation of a lot of different westernized cultures so I suppose I, I you know I never really had an interest in learning about indigenous culture just because I mean I suppose when you learn about indigenous culture in in high school you learn about the invasion you learn about the whites interpretation of the indigenous culture and then you learn about all the indigenous stuff that you will never learn because it's not available to anybody who's not indigenous so there wasn't anything particularly interesting to learn about learning about indigenous culture in school and I'm you know slowly learning about it working with different ind- indigenous people mm. in Australia but I suppose when Australia doesn't really have any culture of its own it's, all, it's often more interesting to go up to other places who have a rich history mm. that's, a, that's readily available for you to learn about. And so I suppose I've always been more interested, interested in um, Japanese culture. You know, I like, I like Asian, and, um, Asian imperialism and everything like that. That's kind of come from these really kind of fucked up histories and what it's... Up what it's kind of created today and you know they're kind of leading the way in technological advances but also still use fax machines and have very traditional values and um and i suppose the homo culture is like everywhere now it's like it's very it's, normalized yeah it's hard to be young and be on social media and not not know about it um, and especially working in the arts, you can't really get away from it. Especially when the like the majority of men working in the industry would be gay. Um, there's like a there's a huge wave of queer rights and um, the the better classification of subgenders within LGBT. Like the like the, it's slowly becoming yeah, more LGBT and more of an QI. more of an alphabet, just like <laughs> trying to. Label everybody correctly. Mm. And then it's like everybody's trying to label it correctly, and then fighting how we shouldn't be labeled. And um, so I think it's it's constantly in our face. And so I suppose it comes down to everything that I'm exposed to on social media, inspiring about what I'm interested in. Um, It's often like I had this conversation about with somebody going, everybody's becoming so PC, and everybody's becoming, you know, you can't say anything without. 
offending somebody and I'm That's like season 19 of South Park yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and I'm and as much as I think is there's a line to how PC we should be mm. um, it's also we're just becoming a generation that's aware of things yes. our parents weren't aware of things my nano still asked me why I'm vegan like mm. and you guys I hope you're still eating it's like there are <laughs> other things to eat other there than meat and it's, and it's just be, you know we understand that there, there, there's injustices in the the policing system mm. with African Americans mm. and it's not something that we're preaching about it's the facts are there mm. more people are becoming aware of the facts we understand that it's not appropriate to say this word because it offends a whole race of people we're becoming aware of it whether you choose to acknowledge that or another thing is up to you yeah. but you can't get angry at somebody for being offended by it because you know why it's offensive now. Mm. You can't deny that you've been exposed to it on social media. And so, you know, I look at these videos of animals being tortured and I go, yeah, I'm vegan now because I'm aware of it. I was 24 years old and not knowing where milk comes from. Like, I knew it came from cows, but... Yeah, like, like the automated yeah. infrared camera that just, like, ushers up to the udder and... Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And it's like the the baby calf being taken away yeah. from its mother Instantly because so we can have the milk. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty crazy. I remember milking a cow. And it's yeah, it's that thing that we're becoming uh, we're becoming exposed, exposed so we privilege. know more. Yeah, and it's really exposure and mobility are like a super middle class privilege. Mm. And it's there's this weird thing that Australia's in where it still thinks that it's working class but actually most people <laughs> live in the middle class life in terms of education and health Absolutely. and free time um, mm. but still have this working class mentality of being the underdog when actually not even close yeah. but yeah and that and then we the the privilege of that is mobility and exposure mm. the exposure to be interested in another culture and then the mobility to go and travel there and yeah engage it and i think it's become it's become very interesting the uh this wave of um what is cultural appropriation mm. i remember i was only recently reading a an article on the bindi and it, like its traditions in indian history and stuff like that and the cultural appropriation of it now in fashion and i'm like Fuck! What am I doing? <laughs> like, I'm wearing bindis. Like, how do you deal with that? Having grown up here, but um, having hair that is done so much better when it's not done in the like Australian way. Um, because I imagine you're not appropriating culture, but you also are. Because you're across uh, yeah. cultures. Yeah, so I suppose I didn't have... I, I never had a black upbringing. Yeah. Um, my mum's reaction to an afro was to just shave it off because it's too much maintenance. Whereas, <laughs> that was my mum's reaction to my yeah. hair too. <laughs> no, I didn't even have an afro. Like, I look at my baby cousins in America and it's my auntie sitting down and cornering their hair every morning. Wow. It's just something that I, I never grew up with. And so it's something that I've become more aware of now having access to tutorials on YouTube and going this is how you braid your hair yeah um, I never really grew up with the culture and I suppose with the father where that you know the black side of me comes from not being present and then even then not necessarily wanting to share any of that culture because he kind of came from America when America is a fucked up place. Yeah, right. Know that you're black, be proud that you're black, but you don't necessarily need to know anything other than that. Yeah. I never, you know, we don't learn about black history because it's not our history here. Mm. Um, my parents, my, my mom's side of the family, the family that I grew up with, they don't know black history because they don't need to mm. so I never grew up with it and I grew up in a predominantly white environment even the school that I went to and I just yeah I yeah I always find it I always find it funny when I think like there was a whole cultural appropriation about having braids and white people having braids and 
I listen to the I listen to the theories behind it and I go, yeah, it's all valid. Cultural appropriation is valid, especially if somebody's using it and claiming it as their own. Like Kylie Jenner's new innovative hairstyle with braids is like, bitch, please. <laughs> really? Like people believe this shit? Like But the, um, Yeah. And then it's an interesting uh, thing to try and navigate being culturally white but then like being raised culturally white but then mm, having to like justifiably appropriate a culture that wasn't around for you to grow up in yeah and that, absolutely and I, there are moments where I feel like I'm like I'm not I'm not black <laughs> Like, I'm very proud to be black, and it's very obvious uh-huh. that I am black, but uh-huh. I, I, you know, last time I was in America, it was when all the Trayvon Martin stuff was going on, the mm. big cases behind the injustice against, like, the political injustices against black people, and I'm sitting there, like, with my cousins, and they're all so angered, and they're all so, um, they're so, like, distraught about this thing, and distraught about, an, it, like, a in a community where they live in, where racism is so apparent, like the blacks and Latinos in in Texas, they live in one part and the whites live in another part and the segregation, the segregation is so obvious. And I come back to Australia and like, I don't experience racism. Mm. The only time I get, uh, the only time I experience racism towards me is when people think that I'm Aboriginal. Mm. I'd say the biggest, the biggest uh, racism that happens in Australia is either the Muslims or the Aborigines. Mm. I feel like everybody's learned to live with the Asian immigrants. Everybody's and the Italians learned, and yeah. the Polish and yeah. Um, and I suppose it's the all... The British it's, are still working out how to live with themselves. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and it either comes from... It either comes from stereotype or fear, yeah. this racism in Australia. Yeah. As, it, as it, I suppose it would do in all other cultures. But I suppose when people find out that I'm African American, it becomes this exotic thing. Yeah, right. And so I I experienced much more homophobia than I did racism. So it's often this time where I look at the injustices that Black people are facing in in America, and I go, I can't, I can't relate yeah. in that sense that I'm not, I'm not Black, and I don't experience that level of racism, and I can't sympathise with what it is to be black mm. in a con- in a um, in a culture where being black is so like it's such an important thing because other people make it an important thing it's like when people are like why do gay people get a pride parade and straight people don't it's like well we wouldn't need to say that we're gay if it wasn't a big deal but it is a big deal simply in the culture that we live in And I, I suppose my dad also got it a, a lot when he moved to Australia and then he moved back and all his friends were like, you're such a coconut. <laughs> like, yeah, right. yeah. yeah. And it's like you've amalgamated all these like white cultural things and you're, you're not black anymore. Simply because he hasn't had to live in a environment where being black is a big thing. Mm-hmm. Certainly. I mean, I don't know if this is fair to say, but it sounds like there's similarities between when you draw a line in the sand about the work that you're going to make and then you have to just make it even though it's not real or relevant to the process and the development. And when you have uh, an idea or aesthetic or culture already established, even if that doesn't really apply to who you are, and your new environment and surrounds. Mm. There's some kind of similarities going on there. Some parallels. Yeah. And I think it's I think it's important to show interest, like I interest in another culture. Like I haven't lived in Japan. I don't know what it is to be a Japanese person. So there there's been a lot of times in making the work about Japanese culture where mm. I'm like, I'm not I'm not informed enough to make these opinions. Mm. And all I'm getting is from documentaries and interviews that I've read and seen. And, and part of me goes, in order for me to produce a work that's um, uh, of uh, 
not value, but of um, substance that I need to get the opinions, I need to get experience, experience or I need to know what it is to, to live in Japan or speak to more Japanese people who live it firsthand. Mm. Um, or take it to a Japanese audience and go, does this resonate with you? Mm. Um, whereas, like, I feel like, you know, watching these documentaries, they are interviewing real Japanese people who are experiencing this thing, so it's kind of hard to look at it and go, it is a thing, otherwise they wouldn't be making a documentary on it, otherwise they wouldn't have a news article about it. Um, but yeah, so there are often times where I'm like, I had that moment at the round table when all these people are questioning me about what about the cultures who think that sacrificing an animal is good. It's like, yeah, I don't, I don't know that culture. I'm not a part of that culture. I'm just going off the fact that I don't think it's right. Mm. So it, does that make my opinion any less important simply because I don't know the culture in which it happens? All I can go is, in this culture, I've read that for this sacrifice, uh, for this ritual, a uh, mm. religious ritual, that they do this, this, and this, and this, and this, which is the practice that they do. I don't necessarily understand the emotional connection to that. All I know is that they sacrifice an animal, and I don't agree with that. This is why I'm making a work about something that I don't agree with. And then it's like, how much of an opinion is valid if it's not informed or... non informed yeah it's hard to know because how yeah I mean how do I know that the patriarchy wasn't formed in response to a, a malicious and oppressive matriarchy that came before it and men finally rose up in retaliation <laughs> and stopped being maltreated. <laughs> I mean, I don't think that's what happened. In those um, prehistoric times yes. where women were the leaders. <laughs> yeah, back in pagan times when men were held in fear. Yeah, by the witches. By the witches. <laughs> it's, it, and then it's interesting to look at... Um, to not get caught up in, like what humans think and uh, to look at animals and to look at the way that they yeah that they live and the and the certain um the certain uh pride men like pack mentalities that they have where sometimes the female is the most important like you look at bees and they they serve a queen they you know the seahorse carries the yeah. children um where there's all these different rules and all these different ways of living that go against the way that we live. Yeah, that we currently live, that we've... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it seems a little funny to focus on humans and then within that focus on art and culture and then within that focus on a physical version of an art and culture and live performance when actually goddamn there's so much yep but i think the thing that keeps me really keenly interested in that is that it, it seems so arbitrary and constructed how we think and how we engage each other and how we live that uh if something is not functioning well for everybody then we could actually just change all of our minds not even the world in lots of cases just our minds and how we consider it and then that the system could function better for more people mm. and i don't think that dance is necessarily the way to that but i believe that there's a sensitivity that I have or have trained about physicality and choreography and how to how to have non-spoken interactions and how to how to share experience through ritual rather than through logic mm. and debate and that those that giving time to those skills or those sensitivities will reveal something else yep. about something that then needs to happen yeah i mean i often i often think about the the things that i'm interested in making work 
before and I have that moment where it's like, fuck, it'd just be so much easier to talk about it. <laughs> just just write about it. Just say what you're thinking rather than having to put it into this abstract mm. form. But mm. I suppose it's how I express myself. And so if I'm, if I'm making a work about something that I am passionate about, that I have interest in, that I have an opinion on, mm. I'm not good at talking. I'm not good at... Um, writing I, I, but I I'm good at moving I like moving I like expressing myself through movement so if this is something that I'm interested in why not try and express it in the way that I feel that I'm competent in expressing then it becomes you know this hard thing of then does it read to somebody else if this is really what I want to make a work about <laughs> what choices do I need to make within this abstract context that I make sure that what I'm interested in is coming across. And then is that important? Yeah, probably not always. As long as it looks pretty right. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, as long as it facilitates a mind state of reflection, then that is already a huge uh, rebellious act. Yeah. And because most of us only have those moments of reflection in the shower or maybe sometimes during sex. Like, most other moments of the day, the mind is taken up with transaction and logistics. And so if you can facilitate any kind of experience where, even if they don't see anything that you've made, but their mind's put into whatever, like a, a theta state or beta wave or omega wave or whatever mm. Latin word it is <laughs> that other wave that, that makes us somehow less reactive and less clan driven and more like practice the um the, the mind and brain functions of empathy I don't know, I think that's pretty powerful. I do think music does that a little bit better than dance a lot of the time. Yeah, well, it's also just more accessible, mm -hmm. which is another thing that I think dance is facing, is, like, how do we become more accessible? Like, DCA just made huge funding cuts, and suddenly you can't put on a big work. And as much as that hinders me, because I think of these grand ideas, I'm like, maybe it would just be easier to create a three-minute work. Just make a three-minute work. Sure. And then how do you say exactly what you want in a three minute work? And I look at, <laughs> and I look at like all these little videos that go, go around Facebook yeah. and talking about these quite, it's like almost like little news articles talking about these quite horrendous and super um, in-depth concepts in these tiny little flashes of information. How, does, how do they suddenly get this the same level of emotional connection to this concept yeah. in three minutes. Yeah. Of course, they use image. They use literal imagery and words. But it, I like the idea of. Yeah, okay, how do possible. I how do I make uh, how do I make a work about this concept in in thirty minutes mm. in twenty minutes? Yeah. And just and just do it. That's what I was trying to do with the GIF project. Like, how do I make a GIF? that is as effective as like a one-line joke that you see in a tweet and in an instant it changes your mood or it gives you an idea you've never thought about before mm. or it lets you it's almost and what it, but it often actually became almost portraits even if not of the dancers as they are actually in the world portraits of humans um, where you get to see a person a little bit like the pictures in the newspapers in Harry Potter movies, where they are basically gifts. Yeah. And you get to see someone in just an, enough of a movement or a facial expression to 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 see them in that really uh, corny avatar movie way. Yeah. Like I see you. Yeah. <laughs> and so it became less about. Hmm. I'd I found after like premiering 10 gifts over two weeks that all I could hope, the most I could hope for was that, s s that this one gift that I sent out 
would you would connect with actually mm. that's all, all I can facilitate is connection or enough interest so that you would stay long enough with the looping so that you would get connection yeah I and think I think that's where um, maybe my interest is starting to lead more with um performance art yeah and, and it sounds like what you're talking you about don't... social media engagement yeah. as well is that it's, it's actually connection more than everything else that you don't need a lot of movement mm. in order to uh, generate an, uh, an emotional or mental connection to a concept that a lot of like a lot of the gifs that don't have any wording to them mm. are a very obvious physical state either expression based or quite obvious like in a movement that's falling mm. if you can maybe abstract the way that something's falling you can express the concept artistically but also get the concept across in a very easy easy way mm. yeah I think that's maybe the maybe the future of art when it becomes less accessible well the access to money becomes mm. harder and harder to get access to it's how do we utilize these new forms of multimedia mm. in order to produce grand things um, on a budget on <laughs> <laughs> uh, no budget <sighs> great GIFs are the future. <laughs> I hope so. It was really nice to like to make a dance that I knew that my audience didn't have to pay for and they didn't have to travel to and they didn't have to arrange a babysitter or get shifts off work for. Mm -hmm. And that they didn't have to uh, already consider themselves part of the subculture that was interested in dance. Did, that could operate in all those ways and, and at the same time premiere globally simultaneously. Yeah. Because like you were saying before, also a reality of my life is that the whole world that is internet connected, the internet connected parts of the world seem like they're always available to me. Because my Facebook Messenger chat with someone in Norway is the same as someone in the Philippines is the same as someone in North Perth. Yeah. So the, the difference becomes uh, forgettable. Especially thanks to everybody's learning English as their second language. <laughs> right, it also brings up my, like, Perth, my Australian, um, just feeling uncultured and ignorant. Mm. Got, to, got to learn another language because then other people in the other, other parts of the world are like oh my English is not so good it's like you can say that <laughs> in English <laughs> you can have a conversation about how your English is not good in English mm. it's much better than many 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 people in Australia it always frustrates me when people are like I wish they would just speak English yeah. So why didn't you learn their language? Yeah. Yeah. Anything else frustrate you that you want to get off your chest, T? I mean, apart from everything that you decide that you need to make work about and speak up about and disengage with. Um, it's very expensive being a vegan. <laughs> More places should have vegan options on Rooney's. It is expensive. Alternatives are expensive. Yeah. Because they're not mass. They haven't got the market share. Being healthy is expensive. <laughs> Being healthy is expensive. Being educated, uh, not just trained for a profession, like not vocationally educated, mm -hmm. but educated in the more broad and, uh, I guess, useless sense. <laughs> is expensive yeah and you give up parts of your career opportunities 
so that in your employment employability so that you can be more educated yeah mm. what how lucky we are to be able to make those choices oh yeah <laughs> i'm um very lucky in where i am at in my career at the moment Maybe that's it. Cool. Thanks. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Mombat Radio. <laughs>